Well, uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to a passage we read from in 2 Kings and uh, chapter 3. And we're going to continue in our series in the life of Elisha. And I want us to look this morning from verses 15 uh, through to the end of that chapter. 2 Kings uh, chapter 3 and verses 15 to the end. And uh, we have before us here the fourth miracle that's performed uh, by Elisha, this miracle of the, the valley full of ditches. Now you'll recall that last time uh, we were in this passage that we uh, considered the opening verses, which detailed for us how these uh, three kings, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, how they came together to fight against the king of Moab. And you'll recall how we noted that this coming together was a, a foolish alliance. The godly king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, he should never have uh, associated himself with such a wicked king as, as Jehoram. He should have learned his lesson, shouldn't he, from previous mistakes that he had made. Remember how we thought how light and darkness cannot mix, righteousness and unrighteousness cannot have fellowship together. And Jehoshaphat should never have agreed to join with this ungodly man. But we saw how these three kings, they, they set off on this journey to attack uh, the land of Moab. And they chose this slightly unusual route to get there. They went via the wilderness of Edom. But it was a route that uh, they thought perhaps had the element of surprise. A route that seemed on the surface to be a very sensible decision. But sadly for these kings, their, their mission proved to be a failed mission, didn't it? You notice in that reading how after seven days of wandering through this wilderness, that they, uh, they have no water. And it seems that this vast army is going to be defeated before they've even fought the enemy, before they've even fought a battle. And we noted last time how their failure was because they failed to consult the lords. They made their plans, but they forgot God's. Remember, Solomon tells us, a man's heart deviseth his way. But it's the Lord who directeth his steps. And it was only when they were at their wit's end in verse 10 and 11 that they finally turned to the Lord's and to the Lord's prophets. And we find this remarkable scene of these three kings, these three sovereigns with power over a vast army, how they come as humble suppliants before God's servant, Elisha. And they come down to him and seek his advice. You remember how we saw Elisha wasn't flattered by this visit. He didn't particularly care that there was these three kings. Instead, he passes by all formalities and he greets the king of Israel with this cutting uh, reproof in verse 13 there. What have I to do with thee? And in doing so, you remember how he, he highlights to Jehoram that his trust in these false gods was a, a false trust and it was a futile trust. Jehoram's gods were utterly powerless. This very situation exposed their, their impotence and their failure to help. And we noted, didn't we, how uh, false, the false gods of this world will always at some point prove to be incompetent and powerless to deal with our greatest needs. Trust in anything other than the Lord is a, is a futile trust. And Elisha exposes this here in these verses as he speaks to the king. And that's where we got to last time, there at the end of verse 14. But I want to move on this morning 
uh, to look at these remaining verses together where we see this amazing miracle that Elisha performs here, a miracle where God provides floods of blessing and he also provides a great victory for the people of God. And that's my title for this morning, Floods of Blessing. And I want us to then look at these verses and highlight a number of things with you. And I think the first thing that we notice here is a strange request A strange request. You notice what it says there in verse 15. Elisha has just spoken to uh, the king. He's given this cutting, uh, as it were, salutation to the king of Israel. You know, what what, what are you to do with me? He's upbraided him for his unbelief in God's. I wouldn't even regard you if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat. And in verse 15 he says, but now bring me a minstrel. Now, I'm sure you know that a, a minstrel was someone who could play a, a stringed instrument like a, like a harp. You remember David was skillful in this area. King Saul, you remember, was refreshed when David uh, played. It calmed and soothed his spirits. And Elisha now says here, in the middle of all this scene, he says, like, bring me someone who can play the harp. And this request seems a little bit bizarre, doesn't it? One, they're in the middle of a wilderness with this great army, They're thirsty, and uh, he's made these scathing remarks to this king. And now it seems he's sort of erratically, he asks, bring me me someone who can play a harp. Now, some people think that Elisha does this because he needs to calm down. His mind has been so perturbed by, by everything that's going on. He's unsettled. He's just got really angry. And now he needs some music to uh, soothe his soul before he comes and he brings the, uh, the word of God and prophesies. Others uh, see Elisha here simply, he's using one of God-ordained, one of the God-ordained means for prophecy. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, people could prophesy whilst they played the harp. We read there in, in our opening psalm, in Psalm 98, sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of the psalm. You could read in other parts of scripture, Jeduthun, for example, in 1 Chronicles 25, he prophesied with a harp. Likewise, you can think about the time of King Saul, 1 Samuel 10. There was prophets who came to meet Saul and they were prophesying and they were using various instruments to bring the word of the Lord on that occasion. Now here, I don't think it's an either or situation. I think both ideas could be true. But I think what's important to note here is that music has a power. Music is is powerful. Music is a gift from God's. And music can stir up, can't it, all manner of emotions within us. We can hear, can't we, just a a few notes of some significant piece of music. And perhaps it brings us back to a certain point in our lives, a particular time or era in our life. And just those few notes can bring back a whole load of memories. And they can make us cry as these memories perhaps flood back into our minds. Or perhaps we can hear a piece of music and it brings us great joy as it reminds us perhaps of a joyful occasion in our lives. Music is is perhaps the most wonderful and powerful of all the arts. And therefore we have to say we must be very careful how we use it. We have to be careful what we listen to. Music, when it's employed by Satan, can be very dangerous. And there's certain types of music that may stir us up to have unhelpful thoughts, may stir us up to anger, may stir us up to have the desire for violence. You think about certain kinds of 
music that are in the world, rap music and heavy metal music, for example, has been scientifically proven to do this in people, to stir people up to have angry and, and wicked thoughts. Certain beats can tranquilize and numb people's minds. And in a sense, they intoxicate us. Some use music very deliberately in this way, don't they? They want to drown things out, put music on to to drown out things in this world and drown out troubles in their life. I think that's what teenagers particularly do. They like to put on their headphones, walk down the street and, and drown out, perhaps, things going on. So we must be very careful what we listen to. And by extension, then, we have to be especially careful as a church, the music that we bring into church and the music that we use in worship. Music's original design was to be used to praise and glorify God. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, does the music that we use in church help us think about praising God? Does it help us think about the words that we're singing? Or does the the tune merely excite us and stir us up? Does it help us to have grand thoughts of God? Does the music help us as a congregation to sing together and to worship God together? So music is, is very powerful and a wonderful gift from God and we have to be careful how we use it. But moving on from this strange request that uh, Elisha brings here, we notice, secondly, a sovereign command. A sovereign command. As the minstrel plays in verse 15, the hand of the Lord comes upon the one who's, who's playing, and Elisha then prophesies, and he gives these three kings a command. There in verse 16, he says, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Elisha is the one who is speaking to these kings, but the command does not come from him, but it comes from Jehovah. Notice how he says, thus saith the Lord. This is a command that comes from the God of all the earth. You remember, he is the God who rules over all things. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He is the one who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth waters upon the fields, as we're told in Job 5 and verse 10. And it's he who now commands them And the command was to make this valley full of ditches. There's an interesting command. It's a command that we notice here is attached with a promise. It's a promise of blessing, of great blessing. He says here, if you you do this thing, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water that ye may drink. And And it's not just that the soldiers may drink, but he says, ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And what God promises here for the people is floods of water. Floods of of blessing are going to come. There'll be water in such abundance that everyone and every creature will be able to drink and drink and drink. Their, Their desperate thirst, seven days of being in this wilderness, seven days their throats have been dry, but now your thirst will be quenched. The Lord says, you have no water now, but I'm going to to provide. And not only that, but the Lord is going to do this in in a miraculous and a supernatural way. You recall that when Elijah prayed for rain, you remember in Elijah's time, he, he prayed and he stopped the rain. The Lord stopped the rain, but there came that time when he prayed again for rain. 
And on that occasion, you remember his servant ran and brought word. I see a, a cloud the size of a man's hands. And of course, that's the normal method that God uses to bring water to the earth, isn't it? It's through clouds and wind and rain. When I worked on a, on a dairy farm in, in Derbyshire, the farmer that I uh, uh, used to work for there, we were standing on the hillside and the breeze was hitting your face. He used to say, well, that's wind-blowing water. And you know what he, what he meant? He was saying, well, that's, that's, this is the kind of wind that's bringing rain. It's going to rain in a moment. And that's the normal way that God brings water, isn't it? It's through wind, it's through rain, it's through clouds. Uh, it's a, you can feel it sometimes as it, in the atmosphere. But God says, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to provide water, even though you see no wind, even though you see no rain and you see no clouds. I'm going to do this in a miraculous way. And he says that there in, in, those, in those verses there, in verse 17, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain, yet this valley's going to be filled. But perhaps the key thing you notice here, that the blessing would only follow if the commandment was obeyed. The blessing was only going to follow if the commandment was obeyed. If they refused to dig, if they refused to obey God's sovereign command here, then there would be no water. And if there was no water, their throats would remain dry and there would be no blessing. You see, God was not going to provide it in, a, in the normal way because they could have just sat back and done nothing. But he gives the command, dig these ditches and then the blessing will come. And friends, we have to say that there is always a great connection between obedience to God and blessing that comes from God. And this is true today. If we would know the blessing of God in our individual experiences and in our families and, and in our churches and, and in our nation as a whole, there must first be obedience and, and adherence to God's words. Blessing comes by following God's commands. Now you notice here that this command was not an easy command. It was actually a very strenuous Command. This vast army had spent seven days wandering through this wilderness under the hot sun with no water. Their, their throats were dry, their strength no doubt was spent. They'd walked all this time, growing wearier and wearier. And now the command comes from the Lord, I want you to dig ditches. That would have been hard work. Digging ditches is not easy work, is it? Especially in a dry desert especially when you already have little energy i suspect too that they were not exactly you know adequately equipped for this you know for digging ditches doubt whether they all had shovels and spades with them but they had to use whatever means possible to to dig these ditches but while it was a, a strenuous command the lord obviously provided them with the necessary strength if they were willing to obey and i think friends we could say that's true in every occasion that's true today. Sometimes what the Lord commands us to do may seem very hard. You think about Moses, commanded to stand before Pharaoh. He makes his excuses, but the Lord says, I will be with you, I'll go with you. Esther was fearful, wasn't she, when she had to come before Ahasuerus the king. But the Lord gave the needed strength. And we may feel weak, we may feel that we don't have the sufficient tools, as it were, to carry out God's commands but the Lord always gives the strength to those who obey. 
I think you see this particularly in the New Testament. You think about the many miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ did. Take, for example, the man with the withered hands. There he is standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to this man, he says, stretch forth thine hand. He gives this command. And as you are looking on, you may have said, well, that's an insensitive command. This man can't do that. He, he hasn't got the strength to lift his, his arm. But you see, with the command also comes the power. And when we obey the command, God gives the needed strength. But you also notice that in this command here, not only was it a a strenuous command, but it was a, a swiftly obeyed command. It seems here that there was no hesitancy from these three kings. They don't say, what a ridiculous idea. You know, digging ditches in the middle of a desert. I can't see clouds. I can't see anything coming on the horizon. We see no excuses here. They get on and do it. They obeyed immediately. The ditches were were dug promptly. And it seems that they perhaps worked all night to do this. And there was this swift response. And again, we have to say, well, that's a great pattern for us, isn't it? Obedience is what God requires. It's what he deserves. But the best kind of obedience is prompt obedience. For example, when we read God's words... And as you read it, perhaps there's something there that pricks your conscience. You're, you're being told about a sin in your life. Let me say to you, friends, if that happens while you're reading God's word, deal with it there and then. Repent of your sin. Perhaps you're, as you're reading God's word, you're reminded of some duty that you have neglected to do as a Christian. Well, as you read God's word, go and do it. We're to show prompt Obedience, you know, it's when we dilly-dally, that's when Satan loves to come in and distract us and take us away, and so we then fail to obey God. Now, these people here, they, they swiftly obeyed the command of God. And so we've seen then this strange request from Elisha, and we've seen this uh, sovereign command from God, but you notice, thirdly, there's superabundant blessing. A superabundant blessing. The Lord tells them to dig. He also promised them blessing in verse 18. But then the promise is extended much further. It's much fuller than just simply giving them water to relieve their thirst. Because you notice what Elisha says there in verse 18. He says, and this is but a light thing in the sight of God's. And the Lord tells them there, look, not only am I going to give you water, but I'm also going to give you victory. And this victory will be so complete that in verse 19 he says there, you shall smite every fenced city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop all wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. He says, look, I'm going to give you a, a, a complete, a crushing victory over your enemies. And of course in the passage that we read everything came true, didn't it? We have the details there from verse 20 and following. We read there how the next morning we, the, the, uh, they woke up. The country was filled with, with this water. God had provided them exactly what he'd said, water for their thirst. And the Moabite army was camped there in verse 21 on the border. They were, they were waiting, ready to fight. And they looked on at this miraculous supply of, of water. And as the, as the early morning sun shone upon it, it, uh, it appeared to them to be blood. 
And so they presumed amongst themselves that these three kings, they'd fallen out amongst themselves, they've fought each other, they've killed each other, and here's all the, here's all the bloods. Now, in a sense, they had a, one reason to believe this, because this had happened in their past. They had, this is exactly what had happened to Moab on one occasion. And so they look and they think, great. And they're so convinced of this that they, they go, let's go and take the spoils. The victory's ours. But appearances can be deceiving, can't they? And they find out when they reach the camp that their presumptions were all wrong. And it says that the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites. And in verse 25, we read of this, the utter destruction, how they brought upon the cities and the land. It was, it was absolutely devastating, how they took down all the cities, they, they cast stones on the land, they stopped all the wells, they, they felled all the good trees, and so on. And this is, this is remarkable when you think about it. The day before, they were almost defeated by thirst. They were, they were close to death. They went to Elisha to seek help so that they might just have some water to quench their thirst. And now here we are, less than 24 hours later, not only have they seen a miraculous supply of water, but they've won a great victory. The Lord had supplied them not just according to their need, but he'd given them far, far more, hadn't he? Far more than they could have wished for or even, even that they deserved. And I think, friends, doesn't this remind us of those wonderful words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 3 rather, and verse 20. He says here, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. They're wonderful words, aren't they? Paul says, look, God is, is able to do what we ask him. Yes, but he's able to do those things that we even think about, but we don't dare ask him. And not only that, but God is able to do much, much more than that. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above what we ask or think. These kings just wanted a, a drink, but the Lord gave them so much more. That's why the Lord tells them it's a light thing for him to, to provide this water. God can do so much more, exceeding abundantly above what you ask or think. And friends, what confidence this should give us when we come to the place of prayer. We sung Newton's hymn only a moment ago, didn't we? Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. And I think so often our prayers are so small, aren't they? They're so puny and pathetic. We limit God as we limit our prayers. But what are we commanded to do as we're thinking with the boys and girls? Ask and it shall be given you. We come before a loving father, a kind father, a gracious father, one who has power. And so he says, ask. But as we think about this superabundant blessing here that was so, so graciously given by God, did you, did you notice when the timing of it was? Notice when it happened. Just go back for a moment to verse 20. When did the blessing begin to appear? Verse 20, it says, And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered. Then, it was then, behold, there came water by the way of Edom. It was at the time 
of the morning sacrifice when there was a burnt offering followed by a meat offering and there was the peace offering laid on top of the burnt offering. It was at that time that the Lord brought his blessing to his people. Now we've already noted that there's a connection between obedience to God and blessing from God. But now we see here there's a connection between blessing that comes from God and the sacrifice that goes to God's. And remember that every one of these Levitical sacrifices pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every sacrifice pointed, didn't it, to Calvary. Every lamb pointed to the Lamb of God. Every bullock that was slain pointed to the death of Jesus Christ. Every time a sinner came and leaned upon the animal and confessed their sin, it pointed to Christ bearing the sins of his people. And here we see that this superabundant blessing that came from God is connected to sacrifice. It was at the time of sacrifice they received water. It was at the time of sacrifice they began to be victorious. And friends, this morning this is true of all believers. It's only through, isn't it, the sacrifice of Christ that we know blessing that comes from God. It's through his sacrifice that we now have the water of life freely given to us. It's only through his sacrifice that we know victory and we can say that we are more than conquerors through him. Christ's death, doesn't it, brings us life, it brings water, it brings victory, it brings us superabundant blessing. That's why Paul writes, remember, in Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You notice here at the end of this passage, we haven't time to look at this this morning. If you wanted a fourth point this morning, you could have a sad scene if you wanted to keep the S's. But you notice at the end there in verse 26 and 27, the king of Moab, he's hemmed in, he can't get out. He sends out 700 men to try and break through the the Israelite camp, but they can't do it. And in desperation in verse 27, he takes his eldest son, the son that should have reigned in his stead. He takes him and he offers him up for a burnt offering. What a... Horrible and sad sight that must have been. He takes him in the front of all of Israel, takes his son, kills him, burns him as an offering to his gods. And you see, that's what false worship does, false gods do, isn't it? They rob you of even the best things in this life. But doesn't it remind us too that there was a, there was a sacrifice that was acceptable to God and it was the offering of Christ and that's where we receive blessing. You see, as, as, as the people looked on at this sacrifice of this son, it says there was great indignation against Israel. Or it could be translated amongst Israel in that sense. They looked on and they looked at it and they saw what a despicable thing, what, a, what an awful sight. To see this son being sacrificed. And yet it reminds us, doesn't it, there was a son who was sacrificed for us. The Lord Jesus Christ, and it's through him that we're blessed. We're a blessed people. We are blessed through Christ. And you notice that this blessing came when they were at their lowest. They'd reached that point, hadn't they, when they realized that all their schemes were hopeless. They'd reached that point when their strength was gone, but it was then that the Lord blessed them. And friends, isn't that often true for us? 
It's when we stop relying on our skills and on our strengths and our ideas and plans. It's it's when we realise how utterly dependent we are upon the Lord and we yield to him. It's then that he opens up his treasures in Christ to us and blesses us. And that's true, isn't it, of conversion? It's when you're brought to your lowest, when, it's, when you're brought to that point when you see how desperate your need is. It's then that you come and the Lord blesses you. Remember the words of the apostle. He, hear, he heard the words of God saying to him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Remember he goes on and says in that chapter, When I am weak, then am I strong. Friends, this morning, let's thank God for his many blessings to us in Christ. Blessed with all spiritual blessings. We have this superabounding blessing to us, his wonderful grace, which is sufficient even for us.